Well, good morning, Anthem. Go ahead and open your Bibles to Acts 4. We're going to be in Acts 4, verses 32 through uh, Acts 5, 11. Uh, again, my name is Matt. I'm the pastor for uh, teaching and equipping here at Anthem. And, and what I'd like to do is start off by just giving a little bit of an overview. Uh, as we come to this text today, some of you are going to be familiar with it. Uh, it's a well-known uh, passage of the Bible, uh, if nothing else, for its shock value. Uh, this is the story of Ananias and Sapphira. Uh, and as we, just to give you a little bit of a general overview before I jump in, just not to assume that anyone knows what's going on here, we're going we're gonna to start picking up where we left off last week and what we've been looking at in Acts, which is that the church is alive with the Spirit of God. That the, the church is overflowing with this life that God has given them, and this week we see that it's manifesting in, overflowing with generosity towards others with their possessions and with their riches. And, and chief amongst uh, the, uh, the, the members of the body of Christ at this point is a guy named Barnabas. Literally, his name, they say, means son of encouragement, that he's overflowing with this encouragement. And so it tells the story of Barnabas. And, and then we see a contrast uh, with Ananias and Sapphira. And they come to before the Lord or, or before the, the, the apostles. And they say, yeah, we sold some land. And they bring it to them. And then they say, and, 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 and here's all the money. But in fact, that was deceptive. It actually wasn't all the money. It was only part of the money. And so they lie. And so in response, Peter, one of the apostles, confronts them. And when they lie again, then they drop dead, right? Uh, and, and that's what we're looking at today. So uh, the moral is going to be don't lie or else you will die, right? Um, so I thought about this would be a good little children's time, have the children come up. Um, have you lied to your parents lately, children, right? Um, <laughs> So, but obviously this is a little bit of a difficult text as we get into it. What do we do with this? This isn't something like we go to the Old Testament and then we're looking forward like, well, but Jesus hasn't come yet and things are different. Jesus has already ascended to the Father's right hand. And, and so these, these individuals, as soon as they sin, they die. So what are we to do with this? Well, I think that we have to remember, again, the context in Acts that's being driven home again and again is that the body of Christ here is overflowing with this life that they're finding in God, this life in the Spirit. And in this passage, we see how that life in the Holy Spirit overflows to the body of Christ out of each of the individuals. As it flows, the Holy Spirit flows through individuals and they contribute their possessions to the body. In verse 32 of chapter, or verse 31, it says, And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. They're overflowing with life. And then now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. They're united in this reality. And it says, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. So I think one of the things, when I read that, I don't know about you, but I read that and I go, I want that. And, and here's what I mean by that. I, I want to have something that I, my life is so given to it, something bigger than me, more meaningful than me, something worth giving all of myself to, all the chips I have go into the center of the table for that thing because it's worth it. I want to have something worth contributing my life to, giving my life to. And they have that. These believers have that. I, I think this is something that is just kind of a universal thing. It, it's captured for my generation, kind of millennials and, and younger by Steve Jobs, uh, founder of Apple. He, he said this, he said, we're here to put a dent in the universe. Otherwise, why else are we even here? And I think that, that that question resonates. 
with us because we are hardwired by our, by our creator to make a contribution to the world. We are hardwired to bring something into the world and to contribute and to overflow with life and to bring something life-giving into the world. And as we'll see, again, that's because you're, you're stamped with the image of God. But here's the thing as we dive in today. What's interesting is, it's not a question of whether you will contribute something to the world. You will contribute something. The question is, is what you contribute to the world for good or for ill? And so what we're going to look at today is we're going to look at first at Barnabas and we're going to see an encouraging contribution. And then second, Ananias and Sapphira, we're going to see a deadly contribution. And then third, the source of a life-giving contribution. So let's pray as we dive in though. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we ask that this morning as we go dive into your word, Lord, that you would really, Lord, your, your spirit would convict us. Lord, where we are comfortable, you would convict us. Lord, where we are um, Father, where we're afflicted, that you would comfort. Lord, I pray that you would um, you convict us of how our lives are to be given to you. And Lord, that you would give us a vision bigger than ourselves. Lord, a, a vision of a more meaningful life that you've called us to in your kingdom. And so Lord, we ask that you give us Christ this morning. You'd help us to see how Jesus has given all of himself to save us. And Lord, that that would overflow into generosity, graciousness, joy, love through our lives. For God's glory, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, an encouraging contribution. Uh, Again, we open where we left off, which was that God's people are filled with the Holy Spirit, that they're experiencing God. Now, when I say that, you know, they're overflowing with the life of God, that they're filled with the Holy Spirit, that they're filled with life. I think that often we hear phrases like that, especially good church people, we hear phrases like that and we kind of glaze over it and we go, okay, uh, they know God, they know his life and, and, and that's nice, you know, but let's get to something more concrete. And, but the thing is, that is not a throwaway idea. And the book of Acts is really driving this home, what it means to walk with God and have life with God and life with one another. And, and this is why Jesus says this on the night before he's betrayed, he's in the garden and he says, he prays this to his father. He said, and this is eternal life that they, you and I, those who Christ came to save, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do, and now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Now, there's a ton there that we can unpack, but what's interesting is Jesus prays that we would know God and know life with him. And he says, this is what eternal life is. This is what we're looking forward to for all of eternity. This is the essence of the good news of the gospel that we can have a relationship with God and know him. And then what's interesting is Jesus drives that home by saying essentially that they would know that reality, which we had, Father, you and I, before the world began. Now, why does he say that? Why does he say it? Well, before the world existed, God existed as Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Before time began, before before the cosmos came into creation, God has always existed as Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And as 1 John tells us, God is perfect love, which means that he is in perfect loving community, harmony, uh, delight within himself. And the way that God has revealed his nature is that he is a God who overflows with love. He's delighting in himself. And so for eternity past, God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit is in this community of love and delight and overflowing with expression of that. And, then, and so why does God then create the world? You know, it's easy to go like, well, God was sitting around 
And God's like, man, I haven't developed like an app where I can meet someone yet, where we can hang out, right? I don't, I can we schedule a play date? There's no one around, right? And so what does God do? He didn't create because he lacked. He created because he overflowed with delight in himself. You know, like any great artist, like we're doing the creative arts night, what's at the core of really an artist? What do they do? There's a delight, there's something in them, and it overflows in expression. Love, what does it do? We overflow with wanting to say, I love you, and wanting to write poetry, and wanting to make art and write songs, and overflow with that. And see, when God created the world, what he did was he went public with that inner joy and perfect, sufficient love and delight, and he went public with that. As one theologian said, it's no fault of a fountain that it just overflows. That God overflowed. And when he created the cosmos, it was like taking a canvas. And on that canvas, he created the sun and the moon and the stars and the earth and and everything down to the smallest atom and everything as big as a supernova and black holes. And all of it is to proclaim, look how beautiful and delightful and glorious and good I am. And so the moon goes around the earth and the earth goes around the sun constantly as just a way for God to say, that is how I am faithful. That's how good I am. How beautiful I am. How grand I am. All of creation proclaims the glory of God, Psalm 19 says. And here's the thing. Then in the midst of it, that overflowing of life, like a theater of glory is what our cosmos is. God in the center of it created man and woman with a unique capacity to enjoy, to join in that delight. And then take the raw ingredients of creation, the raw materials of creation, and spread that throughout the world. He said, be fruitful and multiply, just overflow with delight, know me and enjoy me and worship me, and just take that and go and make an entire world. That's why the Bible begins in a garden and ends in a city. In other words, We were created to join in the very life of God in that delight, in that love, in that worship, to be filled with that delight and love and overflow with that and take it into the world and express it back to him. That's what is happening here because after the fall that is distorted, that's broken, it's kind of, it's ruptured and this doesn't happen anymore. And what happens when Jesus comes is he enters back into the world and his spirit comes back into his people and that joy comes back into God's people and fills them up and they overflow with that joy and delight in him. So when here we say that they're overflowing with the Holy Spirit, they're overflowing with the life of God, they're walking and speaking boldly, it's because they can't help it because they're overflowing with life. And they're creating the image of God and they can't help but proclaim God. What was lost has been regained. And they're delighting in God. Now, they say no one epitomizes this in the body more than Barnabas. Okay, so if you read, look at verse 36 of chapter four. It says, thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' Feet. Now, it's interesting, they, they give him a nickname here. They said, okay, he's, uh, his name is Joseph. 
uh, and, and, but actually everyone calls him some encouragement. He is so known for being encouraging that he is giving a nickname. I don't know if you've ever had a nickname. I've never had a good nickname. Uh, I think the only nickname I've ever had was in junior high. I was in basketball. I, I peaked early athletically. Okay. And, uh, and I was, I was actually four foot 10. I was one of the shortest kids on my basketball team. I was real chubby and I would just throw my weight around and I was called the round mound to rebound. Right. And so that's what I was known for. And so it was like, everyone would see me in the hall, like, Hey, round mound to rebound. And I was like, what's up guys. Right. And then, and that was the end of my athletic career. That's as far as it got. So, but that's what I was known for because I was known on the basketball court as just like this feisty kid who'd get in there and throw my weight around and then I'd throw elbows and it was great, right? Well, Barnabas, in the same way, when he gets into the life of the body, he's throwing, he's just overflowing with this encouragement. And because of that, that's what everyone knows him for. And so he's known as uh, the son of encouragement. This is, uh, Luke actually seems to be introducing Barnabas here because he's gonna be named 23 times throughout the narrative of Acts. So we're just meeting, getting an introduction to Barnabas here. And here's just some of the things that are coming in. Chapter 9, Barnabas, get this, Barnabas when Saul. So if you know the story of Saul who becomes Paul uh, when he's renamed, he had been persecuting the church. He was murdering them. Imagine someone's going around Columbia dragging Christians off and murdering them. And then, and then we hear that that person came to Christ and it's all good now. Now we're all in a secret place where the murderer can't find us, but they're like, okay, but he really came to Christ. Who can we send to the apostles with Saul to say, hey guys, he's really good now. They sent Barnabas because they trust Barnabas, that he's wise. And so they trust Barnabas and they send him. And he's like, hey, the guy's good. He's not gonna kill you. Uh, uh, Chapter 11 and 24, it says, for he, Barnabas, was a good man and full of the Holy Spirit. I mean, how many people in the Bible get to be a good man, right? Wouldn't you want to say, like, if I had in the, a verse in the Bible that said, Matt Dennings is a good man and full of the Holy Spirit, I would put that on a plaque and I would put it outside my front yard, right? And I'd be like, it's in the Bible, guys, right? Like, <laughs> he's a good man filled with the Holy Spirit. And then chapter 13, he's sent with Paul to the Gentiles. When they first go out through this... Uh, Uh, breaking barriers and sending the gospel out into Gentiles. Chapter 15, at the Council of Jerusalem, when all the church has to come together and go, I don't know if we should really go out there. We should just make this an inward churchy thing. And they bring Barnabas and he argues for the fact that you need to go to the nations. And then Galatians 2, I just want us to get how they viewed Barnabas. Galatians 2 is the scene where Peter is with, these, uh, with this, this group of Jews and, and these Gentiles come in, okay? So he's not kind of like non-religious people. So you get all the really religious people together. They're all, they know all the rules and everything and the customs and the non-religious people come in and they make a mess of it. And then Peter's like, oh man, uh, uh, I can't be with these non-religious people. I'm gonna sit here with the really uh, uh, clean religious people, right? And so he goes and he sits with them and he kind of is pretentious. And it says there, Paul goes, you know how bad that sin was? It was so bad that it led even Barnabas astray. And everyone went, even Barnabas, right? So that's how they view Barnabas. He's the guy who's encouraging because he's overflowing with the gospel to Gentiles, to anyone who needs it, anyone who has lack. Barnabas is the guy who's always overflowing and it's it's uh, it's encouraging. I almost said entertaining. I'm sure it was entertaining as well, but it's encouraging. In fact, Luke will use the same word for encouragement in Acts 9.31, when he talks about the Holy Spirit. It says, so the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. Have you guys heard that before? The Spirit being referred to as the comfort, the paraclete. It's the same word where this word for encourager, or also it's sometimes translated as the word, uh, the, um, like the comforter. And so uh, this is used saying, in other words, Barnabas is overflowing with the Spirit of God. He's received life in God and he's over 
flowing with it. He wasn't trying to give under compulsion. It's clear, by the way, the text is clear that the people said that they would not hold everything. They didn't have to give everything. We're gonna see that Peter says, you didn't have to give all this. This is not under compulsion. This is willingly, this is overflowing out of him. He's not the guy who's like, man, I have to give, but maybe at least I can leverage this and kind of get my name somewhere on the temple and you know, get my color of carpet in the temple. This is not Barnabas doing this for his own good, but he's overflowing with joy. And here's the thing, because of that, his contribution to the body was joy. You see, what's happening with Barnabas is that there is a deeper and more profound source of life than anything that he had found in this world. And and even it wasn't that Barnabas was trying to find life and he wasn't trying to find joy and kind of giving things, as we'll see in a minute, and then people going like, oh, wow, look at him. Barnabas overflowed with life and joy because he had joy in life. And when we know that life, like Barnabas, we will leverage our rights, our privileges, our possessions for the good of others. Because that is exactly what God has done for Barnabas, and that's exactly what God has done for us in Christ. Now, before we go on to explore how, go deeper into that, and explore kind of the heart. How do we get a heart like Barnabas? Because I think we hear that and we go, man, I want to be someone who encourages that way. Like, I'm sure no one reads that and they're like, no, I want to be like the guy who's like the son of destruction, right? Like, I want that to be my name. I, I, I want that on my tombstone, right? We want to be encouraging. We want to overflow with that life. We want to know that life. We want to have something worth with our life when we go, man, everything I have, all of my possessions, all of my rights, all of my privileges, everything that I am, my, it's worth it for this thing. How do we get there? Well, before we get there, Luke says, you have to look at it from another angle, though, first. Luke, the author of Acts. And and this is uh, starting in chapter 5. It starts with the word but. Okay, so let me read verse 1 of chapter 5. But, so we have Barnabas and then a but. A man named Ananias and his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property. property." Now, uh, this but, uh, somebody once said to me, this is really helpful, uh, that when you, this was after I may or may not have said something and then said but after it, uh, he said, what you really mean to say comes after the but. And, uh, you know, when somebody says, you know, like, uh, I'm sorry, I'm really sorry, but it was your fault, right? You're like, wait, am I supposed to apologize for this? Um, where, what they really mean is it's your fault, right? So what we really mean comes after the but. And what Luke is saying is if what, what happened here with Barnabas and what's true in the church, if what comes after the but, if it's allowed to be unleashed and unchecked, then everything that was before it will become untrue. And everything that happens afterwards will be the thing that really spreads and pollutes the body. Okay, and so this transition, what he's saying is he's contrasting it with Barnabas and saying what's about to happen cannot happen for the good of the body. And so... Ananias and Sapphira, like Barnabas, sold their property. Unlike Barnabas, though, they withhold some of the proceeds. In verse 1 through 4, But Ananias, with his wife Sapphira, sold a piece of property, and with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain in your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart and you have not lied to man, but to God? So again, what happens is they they bring their property. Unlike Barnabas, though, they withhold some of the proceeds from when they sell their property. 
uh, and they lie and they say that they've turned over the whole amount when they go to the apostles. So they tell them, yep, this is everything. It goes, this really everything. They go, this is everything. They felt a little tax form. This is everything, right? This is everything. And in verse three, the core of their sin, Peter says, is not lying to man, but lying to God because it isn't the church's stuff in the first place. It's God's stuff. In the verse four, they were free to do with the property what they wanted. They were not under compulsion. And as a result, they were put to death, which goes after verse four. Ananias hears these words in verse five and fell down and breathed his last. And a great fear came upon all who heard it. And then later on, his wife is gonna come in verses eight, nine, and 10, and, uh, Sapphira, and she, they're gonna ask, did he really do this? And she's going to drop dead as well when she lies as well. And so God strikes them dead. So what are we to do? This is not an easy passage to swallow. How do we understand it? What highlights what their sin was. Because one of the things, how do we make sense of what's going on here? There are all kinds of different approaches to this text. And sometimes we get into like trying to psychologize a little bit too much with the characters. But what we do get is it highlights what their sin was. That their sin wasn't necessarily this lack of generosity. But their sin specifically was lying to the Holy Spirit. So if again, you look at verse three, but Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? Now, why is it a big deal to lie to the Holy Spirit? Now, so actually, right after I asked that, some of you are like, uh, I don't need to go to seminary to tell you that I shouldn't do that, right? Uh, why we obviously don't lie to the Holy Spirit, but think about what they did. Think about what's happening here in this scene when they come. They've been in this, in this church where everyone's overflowing with encouragement, with life, right? And so Barnabas, they see Barnabas, who's kind of at the forefront of this, who's giving, and everyone's like, wow, did you see Barnabas? Did you see how gracious he is, how encouraging he is? And they hear the nickname they've given him and everything, and they're going, man, we want that as well. And so what happens is they come and they give in the same way. They say, well, what'd they do? Well, he gave everything. And so they go, well, well let's, let's give everything as well. And so when they go, they, they, give, they give just a portion though. And they say, yeah, 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 we gave everything. And that way then what would happen is they would get all of the praise that Barnabas had received. See, what's going on here underneath this is they are attempting to have the life they see around them, but without the source of the life. See, when the Holy Spirit was overflowing through the people of God, they just said, man, nothing is my own. It doesn't mean, it doesn't say back in verse 32 that they were giving everything at that point, but they were saying everything, nothing's my own. It's all the Lord's, it's all for the body. He's given his whole self for me. My whole self is his. Barnabas says, all my possessions are yours, Lord, because you've given your whole self for me. Now my whole self is given to you. And what happens is this, this helps them to see that what's really going on in them is that they don't actually have the Holy Spirit giving them life because they're not all in at this point. But they lie and they claim they are. It's as if, you know, when they're taking the money in, they're like kind of doing like the Instagram selfie. Like they brought it in. They're like, hey guys, giving all of our proceeds today, right? But the problem is what happens at that point is they're trying to pursue life. At that point when they're taking that selfie and everyone goes, wow, because you can imagine at first what happens, everyone, the rumors start spreading throughout the, throughout the church. They go, did you hear Ananias and Sapphira also sold a piece of property and gave everything to the Lord? Man, did you see? That's so encouraging. Did you, they're so filled with the Holy Spirit. They're so filled with life. And what's happening is that right there, when they hear it from other people and their fellow man, that is the extent of the life to which they will ever experience. And God says, you're, what's happening in your heart is that you don't have the life I want you to know. And you're trying to manufacture it. And you're trying to do it through deception. 
You can imagine everyone says, wow, look at them, but you know, what's so bad about people saying, wow, look at them, you know, other than it's annoying that they're kind of walking around with clout. Because the problem is if they pursue life that way, that is all the life they'll know. To listen, it's okay to not be okay, but it's not okay to fake you're okay. Again and again, God's word tells us, do not go down the path of deception. Do not use religious actions and words and lifestyles to bury the fact that you are dead inside. First John says this, as if we say we have fellowship with him, God, while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. You can say, hey, I'm not there yet. But don't live a lie. Because you will never get, your heart will never be right if you just keep going through the motions. Like continuing to build up walls and that way everyone looks at you and say, I'm okay, I'm okay. When everything inside is not okay. You'll never know life. Life does not come through deceit. In fact, if anything, we could do a whole thing where it's like they're filled, Satan has filled their heart and what do they do? They deceive, right? Listen, God is saying, I don't need anything from you, but I want something for you. I want you to know life in me. But what's interesting is the real urgent problem with what they are doing is that their sin begins to pollute the body. We we see that with Barnabas, his encouragement is spreading to the body. What he does overflows and they encourages the body. He makes this contribution of joy and life and grace. But what happens here with Ananias Sapphira is immediately with this sin, you can see the seeds of where it begins to spread. In other words, they're contributing, but they're contributing death. And in fact, it's going to pollute the entire body. And so if you look at verse five, it strikes Ananias dead, but he said, uh, Ananias heard these words, he fell down dead, breathed his last. But then down in verse eight and nine, it says, Peter approaches his wife and says, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. She said, yes, for so much. And Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? So there he says, how have you agreed together? See, already sin is conspiring. Already sin is conscripting others into it. You know, one of the things that's interesting here in this passage that there are striking parallels with previous passages in the Bible where similar things happen where people die. The verb that is used for uh, Ananias when he's struck dead, when it says he tried to keep for himself, it's the same verb that's used in the Old Testament for Achan and his sin. Remember Achan and, and I, it's Joshua 7 where he goes into the town, he, he tries to keep all these idols and the Lord says, no, these are devoted to destruction and, and he keeps them. It says he kept them for himself. And when it's found out, it says actually the whole world opens up and swallows him and his family. Striking. What, what do you do with that? Then another place where two individuals in the same way are struck dead for doing something similarly before the Lord is the sons of Levi who are the first, some of the first priests and the uh, uh, Levitical priests in Leviticus. And what happens is they're struck dead. It's similar language that's used here. So why are these parallels here? Why is God drawing these parallels? Because what happened there was first in Joshua 7, it was one chapter after Israel uh, uh, first entered into the promised land. And so one chapter after entering into the promised land, God's doing something new, everything's good. And then this little bit of sin enters in. 
and it starts to grow and spread. And the same thing in Leviticus, what happens with Levi's sons is God has just installed the sacrificial system and the sons start to engage in that and they, bring, they begin, begin to bring sin into that. And as they bring sin into that, it begins to spread. In other words, what's happening is the trajectory is massive. And what's happening here is it's the beginning of the church and it's going well and God's spirit is at work. And what happens is they come in and they bring this deceit and it's just a seed. But God's saying if it's not dealt with, it will grow and it will grow. And what actually is happening, it is breeding death. And so what God does is it's hardly even a judgment. A judgment is just revealing what is already true which is revealing that Ananias and Sapphira, you are dead because you don't have life in me. And they die. See, their sin, while small, represents a massive trajectory. Sin pollutes just as grace and joy permeate a body for good. Sin pollutes a body and it kills life. In other words, in our sin, we contribute. We contribute in profound ways to the lives of those around us. We contribute in profound ways to our families. We contribute in profound ways to our connection groups. We contribute in profound ways to our neighborhood. We contribute in profound ways into the lives of our, of our children and our, our, our city around us. Sin pollutes. That's why one commentator said their sin is a sin against koinonia, which is the biblical word for fellowship. Because sin enters where God is at work by his spirit bringing joy in life, and then strangles it, poisons it. Sin conspires and conscripts others, and they become complicit in our sin. Uh, I realized this a few years ago. My daughter, Marilyn, I think she was only about, uh, she's about four, and uh, we were at the grocery store, and uh, and I remember we were, we were checking out and, you know, we got all this stuff and she was like, can I have this pack of gum? And I was like, okay, we can get the pack of gum. It's only like, like 50 cents, right? So we get the pack of gum and somehow she realized, I saw it, where they were, you know, scanning the items and it goes through. And then finally they moved the pack of gum across and they thought it had been like, you know, rung up, but it didn't ring it up. And I saw this and I'm like, cha-ching, right? You know? and, uh, and then my daughter, I just saved 50 cents. And, uh, and my daughter, then she, uh, she, I look over and somehow she knew it. I saw her face where she's kind of looking at it and she gives me this look like, oh, you know, like we just got free gum, Papa, like this is great. And so I, when she looks at me though, I had this moment where I realized, like my daughter realizes that right now we just got something for free. I can either at this point make her complicit in my sin and essentially steal when I know I should pay for this. Or what I can do at this point is I can actually acknowledge what's going on. Hey, that gum actually didn't ring it up. Let's put it back through so he charges for it. In other words, I would make her complicit, even though it's such a small thing, and what a massive trajectory that would be in her life. My children don't need any more encouragement to sin, right? But that is a seed form where what she sees is, this is the way to live. This is the true, this is the true source of life. This is the way to life. See, what happens in our homes what happens in our life, just like this. This is not just financial sin here in this passage. This is the nature of all sin. The nature of all sin to try to find life apart from God and things and being deceitful and living that way. And lust pollutes genuine love. Greed pollutes generosity. Grumbling pollutes grace. In other words, we will contribute to the body of Christ. The question is, will it be an overflow of delight in God and love and grace or will it be an overflow 
of death. And we'll just use everything around us to try to get life out of it and squeeze life out of it. See, many of us are living on the surface trying to pretend the religious things that we're okay. Like Ananias and Sapphira, which I should know, I haven't said the irony of their names. Ananias is a Hebrew name that literally means the Lord is gracious. Sapphira is a Hebrew name that literally means beautiful. And so here they are, ironically, at the beginning, the Lord is gracious, the Lord is beautiful. Everything on the outside of their lives, they go, if anyone has it together, they do. They're dead. And how often do we, like them, try, I know I fall into this repeatedly, try to find Life and the external things, the religious things, the more, just moral behavior, things that can make us look put together. But then our attitudes and the things that come out, we just breed death. Let me ask, are you overflowing with attitudes, words, actions that pollute with death? Is it because there's some area of your soul where you are pretending to be okay? You're pretending to be Okay. God has given us this word to wake us up to say, take hold of true life. Don't just go through the motions. And Barnabas points us to the source of true life, the source of life-giving contribution, lastly. See, Barnabas probably had an interesting thing in the way he's described back in verse 36. Barnabas probably had a very high social status as a Levite. Barnabas also probably was pretty wealthy. In other words, he had it all. But he also realized that he didn't have the ultimate thing. But once he saw what he had received in Jesus, he overflowed with generosity. Ananias and Sapphira did not. And they tried to counterfeit it. And so their death just revealed what was already true of them. So how do we become like Barnabas and not like Ananias and Sapphira? Uh, it's probably a pretty good question after a passage like this, right? Uh, how do we overflow with joy? How do we overflow with delight? We have to see where Barnabas first learned joy. See, Barnabas leveraged all his rights, his privileges, his possessions for the joy of those around him because he knew a savior who had done exactly the same for him. Had done exactly the same for him. Jesus, Philippians 2 says, emptied himself of all of his rights, all of his privileges, all of his possessions, leveraging all of his perfection, all he is to die in our place for the sins that we pollute his creation with. This is what Paul says in Philippians 2. He says, who, though he was in the form of God, Jesus, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. You see, Barnabas was a good man. Acts said it. Barnabas is a good man. He's filled with the Holy Spirit. But why was he a good man? He was a good man because he knew a better man. He knew a better man. The true son of encouragement knew an even truer son of encouragement. He grasped what Paul is saying, how Jesus saved all of him by giving all of himself. And get this, this goes back to that point of like life coming into the world and life being something we join in God's life and who God is, the very essence of who God is and knowing that life. Why did God, seeing the world lost in sin, send his only son? John 3, 16, best known Bible verse, right? Why did God send his son? Because he loved the world. 
He sees it's broken. He sees how we're trying, we're deceiving ourselves, telling ourselves it's okay. And what he does is he sees the world. And again, he overflows with love and delight and his very heart, his son comes into the world to lay down everything he is, leveraging his entire self and his perfections and everything for our salvation. That is the God that Barnabas knew. See, God says, yes, your contribution to the world is polluted. In fact, God will probably say like, you know, you made a dent in the world. It's more like a car crash, right? That was often from my life. But Jesus says, let me fill you with my grace, my love, my glory and delight. Don't try to find any other way. Life in any other way will only deepen the pain, deepen the damage. But Jesus says, if you know the joy I have had forever and that I've given it to you graciously and freely, then and only then will you overflow graciously with all you have towards others. Anthem, do you know that delight? Do you know that life? Do you know this, that this is the God of the Bible? It's why we value contribution at Anthem. If you've heard, been around, you know that we talk about the values of, of celebration, of connection, of contribution. The reason why we talk about this, the reason why we value is because we want to be the kind of people who overflow with grace. We want to be the kind of people who overflow with love and encouragement towards others. Not because that is, you know, just what good Christians do. But because our hearts are filled with God's love and God's grace. And out of that, we can help, can't help but overflow with generosity leveraging all we have and are for the sake of knowing him and making him known. And here's the thing. When that happens, when your heart is captivated by Christ, when you're filled with the life of God and it overflows through you, when that happens, you'll make a greater contribution to the world than you could ever imagine. Because you won't just make a dent in the world. You'll make a dent in eternity. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. Lord, that... Lord, we are not called to walk in deception, Lord. And to try to just fake it till we make it. Lord, to try to prove ourselves. And then once we prove ourselves, then you will set your affection upon us and set your love upon us. But Lord, you have set your love upon us. And there out of that, we overflow with life and abundant life and joy. Lord, I ask that you would, each of us, where we need to be convicted in this passage, while it is not the main emphasis, there are implications for our possessions. Lord, would we be people who realize that you have given all of yourself to save all of us, that all we have is yours. Lord, would you guide us to what that looks like with our time, our talent, our treasure. Lord, help us to overflow. Lord, those here who are struggling with this reality, Lord, that they would begin to take steps and say, Lord, I trust you. Not to be deceitful, but to say, Lord, this is where I'm at. Lord, would you help my heart be there and grow? And Lord, for every individual in this room, Lord, would you help them to see how deep and wide is the cross of Christ and the life that is made available to them in Christ by his spirit. Lord, would you awaken our eyes to it? Would you help us to take hold of it? And would you make us a people of joy who are called by those around us They can't help but call us anything but sons and daughters of encouragement? 
Lord, would you glorify yourself in us, through us in that way? We ask in Jesus' name, amen.